Well, happy Easter. It is tradition in many Christian circles to greet one another on Easter morning with the declaration, he is risen, and to respond, he is risen indeed. So let's do that. I'm going to say to you, he is risen, and then you say back to me, he is risen indeed. You ready? He is risen. Well, did, did you say it? Some of you probably said it loud. Some of you probably mumbled and some of you just stared everybody down. Like, come on, man. He can't hear me. Uh, can he? Uh, well, we are honored that you would join us this Easter, uh, morning. We're glad that you're here. I know that watching a sermon on a computer or on a TV screen, um, not gathering together in church, especially on Easter Sunday is a little bit weird for many of us. For many of us, this is the first Sunday, Easter Sunday in our lives that we have not been in church um, on Sunday morning. And so this is different. It's a little bit uncomfortable. It's a little bit awkward. But there are two things you can do to make it a little less awkward. Number one, let us know you're here. In the comments section of the page that you're watching on, just let us know that you're watching. Uh, you can type in, for example, the Mingis are here. The Mingis are watching. And just let us know that you're you're here. Uh, in fact, if you're watching on our Facebook page, let me encourage you to go ahead and uh, like the Facebook page for Catalyst Church. Uh, this afternoon, we're going to have uh, some uh, video go up about a project we're working on. We are partnering with a number of other local churches to provide food trucks for the men and women in the medical staff at Riverside Hospital today on Easter Sunday. We wanted to find a way to display the generosity of the gospel to them on this Easter Sunday. And so we're excited about that project. And uh, you can see that video on the uh, Facebook page a little later today. So go ahead, whatever page you're on, let us know you're here. Now, the second thing you can do to make it a little less awkward is to grab a pen or a pencil and write something down. We believe when God opens, uh, when, when God speaks through his word, when we open it, when we, when we read our Bibles, God speaks. It's been said that if you want to hear God speak, read your Bible. If you want to hear God speak audibly, read your Bible out loud. So grab a pen and listen for God to say something that he impresses on your heart over the next few minutes. We are, again, honored that you would join us as we open up God's Word this Easter Sunday. Now, S.M. Lockridge said that a sermon ought to do four things for you. Number one, it should stretch your mind. That is, a sermon ought to inform you. You ought to learn something when you open up God's Word. Number two, it should tan your hide. That is, a sermon should correct you. When we're going the wrong direction, the best thing God can do for us is stop us and turn us around. So, it should stretch your mind. It should tan your hide. Number three, it should warm your heart. A sermon ought to inspire you. And number four, a sermon should provoke the will. It ought to have you to do what the Lord would have you to do. So let's open up our Bibles to Philippians chapter one this morning. And I want to talk to you this morning about the resurrection, specifically the so what of the resurrection. Now, I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. I mean that in an application way. If the resurrection is true, and I'm convinced that it is, and the Bible makes it clear that it is. If the resurrection is true, it ought to be the event around which the rest of our lives are oriented. If the resurrection is true, it ought to be the single event around which our entire lives are oriented. 
And so let's talk about the right now of the resurrection. In Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 18, the Apostle Paul writes uh, a portion of this letter to the believers in Philippi. Paul is stuck in a Roman prison when he writes these words, and yet he writes in order to help them apply the resurrection to their lives, specifically to apply the resurrection to their hardships. Now, this is an interesting season that we're in as a, 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 a global uh, humanity, right? This pandemic that we're all wrestling with and experiencing is an interesting setting uh, against which to measure our Holy Week and Easter Sunday. We're reminded in a particularly powerful way of the importance of a resurrection, of the reality that this life is not all that there is. And so I hope that this morning you hear God speak to your moments of fear, to your moments of uncertainty, and to your moments of anxiety as he talks to you about the reality of the resurrection. On the first Easter morning, it's said that a number of women were gathered outside the tomb of Jesus. Jesus had been crucified on Good Friday, laid into the tomb, and then on Easter Sunday, uh, a number of women went to the tomb. And it's said that two things were happening. Number one, they were full of fear and anxiety. And number two, they were weeping. So they were afraid and they were weeping. But then Jesus shows up. And Jesus, the risen, resurrected Jesus, looks at these women and he says to them two things. Number one, do not be afraid. And number two, peace I leave with you. The resurrected Jesus, even this morning, in your moments of fear, in your moments of anxiety, in your moments of uncertainty, says two things to you. Number one, do not fear. And number two, peace I leave with you. And so the crucified, buried, and risen Christ is speaking. We've been taught to sing and say with the hymn writer, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, life is worth the living just because he lives. So let's open up our Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. And I want you to hear three things that the Apostle Paul helps us to wrestle with. Three realities in light of the resurrection. We might call them three implications of the right now of the resurrection. Number one. Because of the resurrection, Paul says we can rejoice even in our suffering. Because of the resurrection, we can rejoice even in our suffering. The Apostle Paul writes in first, in, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 18, Yes, and I will rejoice. Now, when Paul wrote these words, he was in a Roman prison. And imprisoned men don't write about rejoicing. Uh, Johnny Cash helped us understand that when he wrote about being stuck in Folsom prison. Imprisoned men don't rejoice. So we have to ask the question, how could the Apostle Paul, stuck in this Roman prison, how could he write about rejoicing? How could he say, yes, I will rejoice? Now we might be tempted to think, well, perhaps Paul was rejoicing because his release date was coming up. But the truth of the matter is, Paul didn't have a release date. He didn't know when he was going to be released. He didn't have a calendar that he was counting down saying, oh man, 10 days and I'm out of here, right? Paul did not have a release date, but he had something better. He had a resurrection in store. 
Think about it this way. As Paul was imprisoned, Caesar had not promised him a release, but Jesus had promised him a resurrection. As Paul sat in that Roman prison and he had every excuse to give in to anxiety, to give in to despair, Caesar had not promised him a release, but Jesus had promised him a resurrection. Friends, in this moment of great uncertainty, one of my prayers for you is that the resurrection of Jesus would speak louder than your uncertainties. That the resurrection of Jesus would speak louder than your fears. That the resurrection of Jesus would help you to rejoice even in the midst of your suffering. And so the Apostle Paul wrote, I will rejoice. Now, a person rejoices in suffering for one of two reasons. Either they believe that their suffering will be over soon, or they believe that their suffering will be over ultimately. A person can rejoice in suffering because of one of two reasons. Either they believe that their suffering will be over soon, or that they believe that it will be over ultimately. The resurrection promises us that even if our suffering is not over soon, it will be over ultimately. And it gets even better. Paul explains that uh, death and suffering are not the only prisons that the resurrection frees us from. It also frees us from the prison of shame. So maybe you're here this morning and you're carrying a weight and a burden of shame. And the Bible tells us that the way to rid ourselves of that crushing burden is to trust in Christ. On the cross, Jesus took all of our shame. On the cross, Jesus took all of our sin. And he paid, the Bible tells us, the penalty in full for that sin. He paid the penalty in full for that shame. And he gives us his righteousness. And so Paul, while he was stuck in this Roman prison, remembered that he had been freed from shame. He had been freed from the fear of death. And he could rejoice even in his suffering. And so can you. So can you rejoice even in your suffering. Now the second implication of the right now of the resurrection is that we can reframe our thinking even in our suffering. So we can rejoice even in our suffering and now we can reframe our thinking even in our suffering. The Apostle Paul goes on to say in Philippians chapter 1 verse 21, yes, and I will rejoice. And then he goes on and he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, what's Paul doing? He's reframing his thinking. He's adjusting the lens through which he's viewing his suffering. That's one of the things that the resurrection helps us to do. It helps us to turn the lens and to get more focus in how to think about our suffering. When we come to terms with the resurrection, with the fact that the resurrection is true, not just for Jesus but that we ourselves will one day be resurrected. It changes the way we view our lives, especially our suffering. D.A. Carson put it this way, I'm not suffering from anything that a good resurrection won't fix. So Paul was reframing his thinking in light of the resurrection. Your life Every breath of it is lived between two resurrections. It's lived between the resurrection of Jesus and your resurrection. 
So in your moments of suffering, you can reframe your thinking by looking back on the resurrection of Jesus and looking forward to your own resurrection. And you, because of the reality of the resurrection, can reframe your thinking. The resurrection confronted Paul, and it comforted Paul. It did both at the same time. That's why Paul's able to say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Every breath, Paul said, of his life was to make much of Christ. And we can say the same thing. For us, to live is Christ and to die is gain. One of the things that the resurrection does is in in reframing our thinking is it helps bring back into light or bring into light the clarity and the focus of heaven. It, it, It confronts us with the concrete reality of heaven. For the Apostle Paul, heaven was not a theoretical reality. It was a confronting reality. It, it, it was a reality that settled his uh, mind and settled his heart in the, in the most difficult of moments. Is it that way for you? Do you think often of heaven? Do you think of it not as a, re, uh, not as a theory, but as a reality? Friends, think about heaven in the midst of this season, in the midst of all that is unknown with the pandemic going on in our world. One of the greatest things you can do for yourself is to fix your mind above where Christ is, is to fix your mind on heaven. A biblical understanding of heaven is one of the greatest ways to shore up your anxious heart. It's one of the greatest ways to shore up your uncertain thoughts about what's coming next. We can say with David in Psalm 23, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So because of the resurrection, we can rejoice in our suffering. Because of the resurrection, we can reframe our thinking while suffering. And because of the resurrection, you can resolve your purpose in suffering. In verses 22 through 26, the Apostle Paul goes into sort of this inner dialogue where he starts to talk about, well, man, I, I, I'm, I'm torn between two ways of thinking. I, I, I want to stay here on earth and uh, remain in ministry because there's a lot more work to be done. I've got more encouragement to give to you. I've got more um, love to give to you. I've got more that I want you to know about Jesus. So he says, I really want that to happen. But I also, man, I want to go be with Jesus. So Paul kind of peels back the curtain and uh, welcomes us into this diary moment, so to speak, this journal moment where he says, I'm just kind of wrestling with these things. But at the end of the day, he says, you know what? There's more work to be done. There's more work to be done. And I want to give the rest of my life to making Jesus known. You see, for the apostle Paul, this this prison cell, this Roman prison cell, this filled with all the uncertainty and, and all of the fear and all of the anxiety was, uh, it, it wasn't a, just a, a holding cell. It was a classroom. It was a classroom where the apostle Paul said, you know what? I'm, I'm going to learn in this moment of suffering. I'm going to learn in this moment of suffering. The Apostle Paul said, okay, I'm settled in the resurrection. I know that my future is a resurrection. I'm settled in the resurrection. I'm rejoicing even in my hardship. I'm reframing my thinking. And now what he does is he resolves his purpose. He resolves his purpose. In other words, the Apostle Paul says, this moment of suffering will not derail my purpose in life. It will clarify it. This moment of suffering... This moment of suffering, believer, does not have to derail your purpose. It can clarify it. 
You see, the resurrection did not give Paul an excuse to kick back and slack off. The resurrection uh, gave Paul uh, a reason to lean in and give his life for Jesus. Now, not in a payback Jesus sort of mentality where Paul said, well, Jesus gave his all for me, so I'm going to give my all for him. And and then at the end of my life, we'll just call it even and I'll waltz on in to heaven. Uh, No, it was an issue rather of glad response. You see, when you're gripped by the gospel of grace, the fact that you can't earn your way to heaven, none of us can. We can simply receive it by faith, receive it by grace through faith. None of us can earn our seat at God's table, but God has adopted us in Christ. He's carried us to the table. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a parable about a sheep that had a, a shepherd that had a hundred sheep and he gathered 99 of them safely into the, uh, the stable, but he went out and at great cost to himself, he rescued the one lost sheep. And the point is, we're the lost sheep. And the Bible says that when that shepherd found that lost sheep, he put him on his shoulders rejoicing. And so it is with you, believer. God has sought you out. He has found you. He has put you on his shoulders and he is rejoicing as he carries you home. This is the reality of the resurrection. And so you can reframe your thinking. You can resolve your purpose. Now, again, we've got to ask the question, why could Paul do these things in prison? And the answer is because he was gripped by the reality of the resurrection. The resurrection doesn't just open up hope for a future life. It clarifies your purpose for this life. The resurrection doesn't just, uh, it doesn't just offer hope for one day. It offers clarity and purpose for this day. So if you're watching this video and you're wrestling with guilt and you're thinking, I, I don't have a purpose. I'm just, I'm racked with guilt. The resurrection says to you, it doesn't have to stay that way. Your guilt can be removed by Jesus. If you're watching this video and you're uh, wrestling with shame and you're thinking, I'm just so ashamed. My head is low. I'm just so ashamed. The resurrection says to you, it doesn't have to stay that way. Jesus can take that shame. If you're watching this video and you're wrestling with a sense of alienation and you feel like, man, I have been distanced from God. I've grown far from God. I'm just not close to God. The resurrection says to you, it doesn't have to stay that way. It doesn't have to stay that way. Because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross in your place, you can draw near to God. Because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross in your place, you can be rid of that shame. Because of the resurrection, the finished work of Christ in your place, you can be forgiven of your guilt. Easter is not a feel-good fairy tale. It's a soul-strengthening reality. The Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, wrote a letter to a young man named Timothy. He wrote two of them, in fact. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul writes this. The Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. At the end of the Apostle Paul's life, he was still convinced of the reality and the right now implications of the resurrection. Paul knew that no matter what this life bought, heaven was his sure and certain future. So friends, my question for you is, uh, is, are you sure of that? 
Are you sure that heaven is your sure and certain future? The Bible says you can be. Not because you're good enough. Not because you've stopped sinning. But because you have trusted Christ. And Christ is all you need. You, even this morning, can trust Christ. So my prayer for you is that this Easter season would confront you with the reality of the resurrection in a way that convicts you and comforts you. If that's you, if perhaps this morning you're watching this video and for the first time you want to give your life to Christ, you want to trust Christ, I want to invite you to pray with me. I'm going to pray. This isn't a magic prayer, but it's a, 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 I'm going to put into words something that you can put into your own words. It's simply your way of saying to God, God, I trust you. I can't earn my way, but I believe that Jesus died for me. So friends, let's pray together. Perhaps these are the words that you want to use in your own heart. God, thank you for the gift of your son. The Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And for the first time this morning, God, some people are believing. So if that's you, you simply tell God that this is your moment of belief God, we trust you in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of a virus. We trust you to be at work, even in the midst of our hardships. We trust you that because of the finished work of Christ, the resurrection is our sure and certain future. And so I pray that we might be gripped by the right now implications and the reality, the good news that brings great joy of the gospel and the resurrection. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I told you at the beginning of the message that I wanted you to write something down. Grab a pen, pencil. Here's one way that you can encourage me this Easter. Whatever it was that you wrote down, if if God said one thing that was either comforting to you or convicting to you, write that down on the Facebook page or send it to me in an email, jeff at catalyst-church.org. Or if you'd like to pray together, you can email me and I'd love to jump on a phone call or a Zoom call with you. Again, that's Jeff, J-E-F-F, at Catalyst, C-A-T-A-L-Y-S-T, dash church dot org. I would love to pray with you this Easter season as God reminds us of the implications of the resurrection. Don't forget to like the Facebook page so that we can stay in touch. And Catalyst Church, having opened up our Bibles and having marveled at Jesus, you are not dismissed, you are sent. God bless you and happy Easter.